0: We're ending our little mini series on John chapters 9 through 11. And we are ending as the passages are really throwing us into a turmoil. Jesus' afflictions and his persecution is increasing, it is increasing when it should have been decreasing. People are really getting hard in their unbelief, when in reality what they should be doing is softening unto belief. And yet the exact opposite is happening. Let's read the response to the raising of Lazarus, John chapter 11, verses 47 through the end of the chapter. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council, and said, what, what do we, for this man is doing many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us, that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. This spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, They took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went from there into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple. What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. This really is an amazing response to an amazing miracle. And not only to this miracle, you'll notice in verse 47 that they say, what are we to do, for this man is doing many miracles, plural. And of course, here in the book of John, what we have here is at least two close back-to-back, and that is the giving of sight to a blind man Amazing, right? And raising someone up from the dead. Now, he had done that before, but not after four days. Not after the corruption, <clears throat> the decay, the putrefaction of the body had not only begun, but had really set in. What you see in the raising of Lazarus from the dead is, as it were, a restoration of a fallen body to life. This is amazing. And it comes on light of the fact that Jesus was not only wanting to show that miracle, but he was also wanting to work in the lives of believing people like Mary and Martha, and of course, I'm sure, Lazarus. Would you not agree with that one? I'm sure he wanted all the details when he got back home and they set the food there before him. Here's Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the scripture again, I hope you remember this, says that Christ loved them. He mentions it three times that he loved them. He emphatically loved them and yet upon hearing that he was close to death, he actually delayed And folks, isn't it true that our Lord can delay in our own lives? Here we are praying for a distress or an affliction that's in our life, something that's really disturbing our spirit, something of which we have plenty of passages about, that the Lord would delight to answer a prayer like that, and yet there's a delay. I don't know if you've ever prayed, I'm sure you have, you prayed for someone to be healed, and they actually died. And of course, what we say after that, and I hope we say it with conviction, is that the Lord did actually heal them. And He will actually raise that body from the dead in the future, just like Lazarus was raised from the grave. Howbeit, his was a corruptible body, it would die again, but ours will be an incorruptible body. There really is healing, is there not? <clears throat> and folks, surely, <clears throat> surely a person would be of the persuasion that yes, to be here would be a fruitful ministry, but to be with Christ would be far better. And that, those words there just <clears throat> don't even convey how far better it really would be. Jesus had delayed. He was actually outside of Judea. He stayed outside of Judea two days. He comes into Judea, either at or near Jerusalem. And then Martha comes to him. She leaves Bethany to cross more than two miles to see him. Martha has a conversation with him. She goes back to get married. Even then, Jesus did not go back with her. He stayed outside. Mary arrives to where Jesus is at and then Jesus and Mary leave and depart for Lazarus' tomb. Martha meets them evidently at the tomb. He tells Martha, Martha, roll the stone away. And she what? She objects. Jesus said, didn't I tell you, Martha, that if you would believe, you would behold the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to remind you that Jesus did not keep Mary and Martha in that household. He did not keep them away from distress. They went through the whole sorrow of the death, did they not? They went through the whole grief of putting Lazarus in that tomb. They went through the weeping and the tears and the heartbreak of sealing that tomb. And then in the days ahead, some 30 days for mourning, there was continually mourning in pain within their own soul because of the departure of their brother. God doesn't always keep us away from distress. And yet, in that day where we see Him and we behold His glory, all that pain and all that grief will depart to be never remembered again. What is the Lord trying to communicate to us? Well, John is trying to get you to see His glory. He's not just trying to get you to read words on a page. He's just not trying to get you to read through the book of John or read through your Bible. He's trying to bring these living words to us so that the eyes of our understanding would live and see and behold. That's the essence of having a devotional life. That's the essence of being in church. To behold that glory. And He is light, is He not? But He is also life. Do you want to know what eternal life looks like? Look at Him. He is life. If you want to know what eternal life is going to be like when we stand before Him, look at Him. His is that life that was so manifested on the Mount of Transfiguration where the Bible says that the kingdom of God came and it came. As the veil of his flesh was just cracked open, and the glory and the majesty of that kingdom and the power of the coming of that kingdom just shone outside the King of Kings. And he's not only life and light, <clears throat> but he is resurrection. If we are dead in trespasses and sins, if we would believe into Him, we would what? We would live. And if you live and you are in Him, then you will never, 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 never experience the second death. What glory and what riches is that? to sinful human beings like you and me. But you must believe. And you must believe as a believer, even in times of grief, you must believe Christ and believe what He has said about Himself and the promises in our Bible. We've got to turn our eyes away from the corruption that is under this sun. And it's everywhere and it's in our bodies. We must turn our eyes away from that and turn our eyes to unseen things, to those things that are above. This is the only way that we can persevere is by doing that. The Bible says that believers don't faint. And we all know what it's like to be fainting How do we get out of that? We look at unseen things. We labor, we wrestle to get our eyes on things above. Because we know that whatever turmoil, whatever affliction, whether it's in us or outside of us, whatever the circumstances are, it is all doing something inside of us that is going to be revealed at that day that we stand before Him. It is working for us an exceeding eternal, and exceeding eternal, let those words hit us, weight of glory, so that we will shine like the stars of heaven We don't really see that eternal weight of glory now. When we look inside of us, we do see glimpses of the working of God, but most of the time all we see is sin. Which of us does not sin? Which of us has not sinned today? This is the wretchedness that Paul wanted to be released from. And Martha, Mary, Mary, Us, we must, we must turn our eyes habitually and daily through meditating on His Word day and night, through seeking the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. We must, we must put our eyes on things above. Now brethren, in light of all that, Surely, you would think that if a man gave sight to a man born blind, he created sight instantaneously. Not gradually, not meditatively, instantaneously. He raised Lazarus from the dead, not gradually. He didn't anoint him, he spoke. You would think that everybody there on that day would have fallen down on their knees in worship of Christ the Lord. And brethren, you and I think the same thing. You and I think that if people see our lives and they see what God's doing in our lives and we ought to adorn the gospel of Christ, We think if we were just more godly that people would see and that they would fall on their knees and they would accept the Lord. Some do. But the sad thing is, is that many don't. And folks, in our witnessing and confessing Christ to people, I've been there, you've been there. We expect more than what we see in the New Testament. We assume that when Paul started these churches that there were like tens of thousands of people that these were mega churches that Paul started. They were not. They were house churches where 30 or 40 or 50 people would gather together and worship the Lord. They would be scattered throughout the whole city, the whole geographical region. And yet Paul kept pressing on. And folks, we do need to realize that what happens after this, no verse 45, many of the Jews which came to Mary, these were her comforters that were mourning with her, Many of the Jews which came to Mary and saw the things that Jesus did, they believed on him. Hallelujah for that. Verse 46. But some of them, some of those comforters that were with Mary, some of them went their way, traveled at least two miles by foot, with a determination to tell the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the temple priest. Not to tell them in glory, but to tell them in an accusatory way. Maybe they were expecting a reward. Maybe they were expecting accolades and approval. But whatever the motive, they immediately went their ways to the Pharisees, verse 46, and told them what things Jesus had done. Folks, every work of Christ in the heart of a church or the heart of of an individual believer, there are always multiple responses to it. And sad to say, that occurs sometimes even within a church. On one hand, you will have people whose individual faith will be strengthened. They see the reality and the supernaturalness of what is going on. They are strengthened in their inner man. But then there are also the blind. Now, let's just review that. Go back to chapter 9 and look at verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world. What is the legal verdict that Jesus is coming, His incarnation brought? For legal verdict I am come into this world so that they which see not might what? Like that blind man, would you not agree with that? A supernatural recreation of that man's physical sight, and we saw a supernatural drawing of that man to faith in Christ and regeneration. And he came that they which see, that is, people who claim to see, might be made what? And that's exactly what happened to the Pharisees, did it not? their continual rejection of the light of Christ and His Word darkened and hardened and, I'm going to make up a word, stubbornized their heart because they would not believe. And of course, believing, brethren, is not just an acknowledgement that, yes, this is true. Believing something means... Hearing the truth and seeing the truth and engrafting the truth into our hearts and lives. In other words, folks, when the gospel is preached, there's no neutrality. Do we understand that? We think there's this huge gray area here. And there's no neutrality even for believing people. pastor can preach, and he can read, and he can study, and he can reject what the Lord says about himself and his ways. And if that happens, his heart is dimmed. And it can happen in a believer's life also. And folks, I want to encourage us to not allow our hearts to be made hardened. But to hear the Word of God, as Hebrews 4 says, and mix it with faith. The word mix there means to homogenize. You just take it and homogenize it so that it's all what? It's all one And the Bible warns us as believers not to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. These people went to the Pharisees. And they took effort to do this. And they went there. And in John chapter 10 and verse 36, he speaks again concerning this. He says, John 10, verse 36, Do you say of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, you blaspheme, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do the works of my Father... Though you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the works, that they give credibility and testimony to what I'm saying, so that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in them. And what did they do with that? Verse 39. They sought again to take Him, and He escaped out of their hands. They sought to take him to stone him. To put him to death. These are evil people. And folks, it is still the scriptural response to biblical ministry today. And folks, here's what evil people do. They hide their motive. Look at what it says here. Look at verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests in John 11. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council. What are we going to do? This man's doing many miracles. Well, what should they have done? Bowed and worshipped. What are we going to do? Here's our choices, verse 48. If we let him alone, well, everybody's going to believe on him, and then the Romans are going to come and take away both our place and the nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, you don't know anything at all, nor do you consider expedient for us, now listen to this, that one man should die for the people, Why? So that the whole nation doesn't what? Now folks, did they really care about the nation? Did you not hear what they said? Look at verse 48 again. If we let Him alone, all men will believe on Him, and the Romans will come and take away both... What's the first thing? our place. Everybody see that? Folks, what is their motive ultimately? They want to retain their place of power. That's the real motive that is underneath all of this. We care for the nation and we care for the people. And folks, that's the way people deceive people today. They come and say, you know, I really care about you. I really don't want this harm to come to you. While all the while, what they're wanting to do, and this is several places in the, in the Scripture, all they're wanting to do is to get you to follow them. To follow what they're telling you to do. And folks, when people come to us and they are expressing with an evil motive, they're expressing, well, I really care about you. And you say to yourself, I really care about me too. (laughs) You are in danger of being deceived. Folks, nobody's gonna come to you and say, now look, I don't care about you. I just care about my position. Because if I said that to you, the normal person's gonna what? Say, Well, forget it, buddy. Here's a girl dating a lost man or dating a person who professes Christ, and they're not growing. The guy says, I really care about you. Really? If you really care, then you would be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, right? (coughs) If they really cared about the nation, they would be bowing the knee to the king of that nation. But they really don't care. And, folks, with these Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the temple chief priest, and you've got to wonder you know, was Nicodemus there and what kind of objection did he give? He was a chief priest, was he not? But I think Jesus would turn to them and say, If the light that is in you is darkness, how great! is that darkness. Right? Mm -hmm. You say, I see, but you don't see. But people who don't see and acknowledge that, they get sight. Hallelujah for that. What is the Lord's message to these people? Well, after a series of debate and discussion, Caiaphas, the high priest, interjects into this trouble-disturbed room of gathering of Pharisees and chief priests. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said. I've already referred to this, but you think about the harshness of what he said. Basically, he just says, now look, be quiet. You're all ignorant. Listen to me. You're not considering the wisest course of action. All of your courses of action will result in our nation being taken away and our place by the Romans. Is that really what you want? What would be better, instead of the Romans coming and taking away our place and taking away the nation, what would be better is not mass murder, but one murder. One murder. He's really acting very Saul-like, isn't he? Remember when Saul murdered the priest of the Lord? If you murder Christ, then everything will be well. Our nation will be kept our position of power will be kept. Our status among the people will be kept. And verse 50, this is the most expedient way to handle this. Now brethren, from a lost perspective, From an ungodly wisdom. That is the most expedient, isn't it? Can we agree with that? Kill one person versus killing thousands or tens of thousands. But, folks, God's message to these men was not the message that Caiaphas gave the message that God had for them is verse 51 and 52 this he spoke <clears throat> not of himself this did not originate where it did not originate from Caiaphas's own heart <coughs> But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. That was the message that God had through Caiaphas. Caiaphas, with the same words, had a different what? He had a different message. And folks, isn't it interesting that what you have here, please hear me, what you have here is a lost, depraved, dark, evil man prophesying. Isn't that what it says? And folks, we need to be careful just because a person supposedly exercises spiritual giftedness does not mean that they are necessarily born again. Was Caiaphas born again? No. The Spirit of God... Gave Caiaphas temporarily at that moment only the ability to prophesy God's message to those men. And folks, the interesting thing is is that those men were the guardians of the Scripture. They were the guardians of the prophets. They were guardians of the writings. Should they have known? They should have known. But they did not know. And, folks, what we have here is this Caiaphas voluntarily, from an evil motive, did God's will at that moment. Man voluntarily does, he's responsible for what he does. Peter said. You by wicked hands did this. Was Peter right? Were they morally responsible? Yes. He voluntarily spoke from an evil heart words that were intended by God to be a message to them. And folks, Psalm 76 and verse 10. I love this verse. Surely the wrath of man will praise you. The remainder of wrath you will restrain. In other words, if the wrath of man will not bring glory to God, God will restrain it. Caiaphas was thinking one thing. Get rid of Jesus preserve our place, our place of power, and that our nation not perish, but the Lord was saying something else. And John saw the glory of that passage. He saw the glory of what Caiaphas said. How do I know that? He gives to us the understanding of it. Everybody see that? This is what it means to have your eyes open. John comments that this must occur, Jesus dying for the sins of the world, so that not only that nation, but not only the Jew, but also Gentiles would not perish, but have everlasting life. What eyes John had. Do you have those eyes? Do you see? Do you hear properly? Do you know? John heard and seen and knew. He says, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It wasn't a momentary seeing it, it was a continual seeing. Now that statement by Caiaphas fulfilled another passage. You're here in 11, I want you to go back to the beginning of this, chapter Because when the messengers came and he said in verse 3, Lord, behold, listen to this, he whom you love is sick. Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God might be what? Glorified thereby. Now brethren, there was a sense as an amazing miracle like this that Jesus' glory was seen there. But this miracle guaranteed the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ it guaranteed his what? His death. This miracle, look at verse 53, from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to what? This sealed it in the eyes of the chief priest the temple priest, the Sanhedrin. This sealed it. They had toyed with it before. They had taken up stones to try to stone him. They had sent temple guards to try to get him. None of those things happened. But this sealed it. This was the determination. And folks, it was for that hour that he came. All prior to this, He would say, My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. What hour? The hour of His ultimate glorification. In John 17, He prays, God the Father, glorify Me so that I might glorify You. (coughs) this seeing of God's glory in the raising up of Lazarus ultimately brought about the ultimate glory of the Son of God at Calvary. Which begs the question, would you have raised Lazarus from the dead if you knew that you were going to die because of it? Jesus did know that. The counsel to murder Christ was firmly determined and solidified. And because of that, look at verse 54, therefore, because of verse 53, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews. He actually departed from there. He removed from, the, as it were, the area of Bethany and the area of Jerusalem. He removed from there, and he went out into the wilderness country and stayed there until it was time for his triumphal entry. Which was just a few days or weeks away. And folks, the amazing thing of it is is that when the Passover drew near, look at verse 55, and remember he was... He died on the cross on Passover day. When the Passover drew near, <clears throat> many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they saw for Jesus. Well, He's not here. What do you think? Is He not going to come to the feast? Is He not going to show up? Why are they seeking for Him? Verse 57, now, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he was, he would tell them. So they might what? They might seize him. I find it absolutely amazing that during a season in which people were purifying themselves because of their sin, are actually attempting to sin. Both the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the chief priests who agreed with that council, both those who are out wanting to seek Him, not to hear Him, not to worship Him, not to obey Him, Not to confess Him as Christ, the Lord of all, but so they could go back and tell them where He was. I can imagine what kind of reward that they would get. Judas ended up getting how many? 30 pieces of silver. He went and told them where He was. They were seeking to murder Jesus in the midst of a religious ceremony that was supposed to show the internal sinfulness of man and the means by which they could be purified through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Are we not blind All throughout this book, John has been trying to show you the majesty, the glory of Jesus and that He is the Son of God. In John chapter 2 and verse 11 at the miracle at Cana, the Bible says, He began to show His glory. The turning of the water into what? Mm -hmm. There is a glory to be seen. The glory ultimately isn't in the Lord's teachings in the book of the Gospels. The glory really isn't ultimately to be seen in that he claimed to be a good man. are the specimen of what humanity ought to be like. In John 11 the glory was yet to be seen. Many people only saw blood, suffering, torment, injustice. But there were those who saw the glory and majesty of what was occurring. The centurion saw it. Truly this is the Son of God. Did he see something? Joseph of Arimathea saw it. He took the dangerous position of going to Pilate to ask for the body. He honored the King of Glory. Mary beheld the glory. She was the first one to see him and his resurrection and appearance. She didn't run back to those who were gathered in that upper room and say, oh, I saw an hallucination today. I was so sorrowful over the Son of God. I could I thought I actually saw him. No, she saw him. She saw his glory. And it thrilled her soul. Every person who sees and believes, the eyes of their heart being opened, not just to hear the teachings of Christ, not just to see His good humanity, but behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by the Scriptures. If you see that, you live. If you don't see that, you will die in your sins. And folks, it is true... that there are thousands (coughs) of people going to denominational churches today. There are thousands who speak in a pulpit who've never seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They've never been born again. They've never been regenerated. They may know Greek and Hebrew. They may have gone to Bible school. They may be able to tell you the content of the Scripture. But it's never reached their heart. Their heart is still dark. It's still wicked. It still hides motives underneath down there. To retain their positions, all under the guise of being caring about other people. I thank the Lord that He's still saving people today. If you're listening through the internet, you can be saved right there. Where you're at. You can bow your knee and say, I see. And the light of the world will enter into your heart. And you will be different. Your desires will be different. You won't be perfect. (laughs) That's an understatement. But your heart will be different. Your desires will be different. You'll read your Bible differently. Are you converted? May God, may God save His people from their sins. Let's pray together.